Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Robert Puckett, Janet Hurley, and I'm Molly Keck. And this week we are talking about one of the insects that's probably, I think for most people, the most feared insect, and those are termites. Um, If you own a home or you own any kind of a structure, they are a major concern to a lot of people uh, a lot of the time because our greatest investment is generally our house. And and we know that termites eat wood and um, can cause some major damage to our houses. But I I wanted to kind of start out talking about how termites in every situation aren't necessarily a pest and in nature and before people ever built structures out of wood, they were on this earth and they served a purpose. So um, although they are a major pest, they are actually an important part of the ecosystem. And in nature, where would you normally find these guys? in the forest where you have trees that fall down on the ground. So we were the silly ones, in my opinion, that decided to start building our homes out of lumber. And so we kind of brought them into our habitat. So, you know, they, they're natural decomposers. So they're doing their thing. Exactly. That's kind of what I think too, is that we get all upset because termites are in our home, but we built our house right on top of their house, you know, kind of like with any insect, we get upset when they come inside. Well, in, in nature, they're outside. So they're just, you found a reason to make it encourageable for them to come inside the house when they do, when they do come into the home and when they do cause damage, what is the damage that they're actually doing though? I I mean, I think we all know that they're feeding on the wood, but do they nest in the wood? Are they like, how much can they actually consume? Yeah, so there's there's been some studies looking at um, at least a comparison between the amount of wood that a mature colony can remove relative, uh, uh, sorry, of our native subterranean termites relative to um, uh, some of the invasive species. And the reality is that over the course of a year, they're typically not removing that much wood. But if you give them time um, <clears throat> to spend feeding on um, f- framing lumber in a house, they, they can do pretty extensive damage. And those are, you know, that, that's our subterranean termites that are typically outside the home in the soil. Um, they've discovered the wood in the house and they're, they're recruiting nestmates to that wood feeding and then returning to the colony. But then, you know, you've got um, species like our drywood termites that actually nest in the wood and fortunately, um, while they can do pretty significant damage, it takes them quite a lot, lot longer to do so than our uh, subterranean termites. Well, so, with drywood termites, they have a lot smaller colonies than right. the native subterranean termites. And in my experience, the Formosan termites, they tend to be a little more voracious in their feeding habits. Um, those ones are not native to Texas. Um, but Anytime that I get someone calling me in regards to termites, they have this kind of thing in their head where they think if they don't get termite service done immediately, their house is going to fall down around them. And that is just not the case. You know, you have time to have someone out, come do an inspection, have multiple companies give you bids to do that treatment of whatever you're going to get done and make a decision. Don't feel rushed into it because you need to make sure that you are taking the time to know what you're getting 
So you are using your money to best protect your home. I think that is such a great point, Wizzy. Um, for a lot of people, when they discover termites, um, you know, foraging on their, their house, it is a hair on fire moment. And um, I, I try to calm them too. I, and I, I just always make the point that if, if they're committed to having a company come in and remedy this situation um, and they start the process, the amount of damage that the termites do between then and when it gets solved is gonna be far less than the damage they've probably done um, before they were discovered. Yeah, I, I agree with all that because I, I usually, you know, tell people if, if, if it's that bad where your house is falling down, then they've been in there a really long time and you've been ignoring it for a very long time, but your house isn't just going to crumble to the ground. Uh, when you think of termite, you just think of this white kind of, a lot of people say ant-like insect, but white kind of smushy, really soft bodied insect. And I don't know if people realize that there's actually lots of different species of termites. So what, what are some of the common species that we have in, in Texas? Yeah. So, so Molly, there are uh, quite a number of species of termites and they fall into sort of different groups based on their behavior and life strategy. We've got our subterranean termites um, in the genus Reticulotermes. We've got several species of those. Um, probably the most uh, common in, in our state is Reticulotermes flavipes. Um, the Eastern subterranean termite, very commonly encountered. Um, then we also have drywood termites. We've got several species of those. Um, they're more commonly encountered along the Gulf Coast counties, maybe a couple hundred miles inland, um, but they, they move around in wood that they're infesting. So they can kind of show up anywhere. I've, I've, I've gotten specimens of drywood termites from Lubbock, Texas, for instance. Um, we've got damp wood, damp wood termites in a couple of isolated locations in the state. Um, probably the uh, densest populations are out towards El Paso. And then um, another group of, of termites that are pretty widespread throughout the state are the, um, we call them agricultural or desert termites. These are not structure infesting termites. Um, these, are, these are termites that encase living vegetation, grasses in particular, um, blades of grass with, with earthen tubes. And that starts the, it, it begins to kill that plant tissue. And it, once it reaches a particular state of decay, they'll feed on them. But those, those can be a problem too, especially in agriculture. Like for, um, if you think of um, folks that, that farm hay, for instance, um, for every one of those blades of grass that they lose as um, agricultural termites, you know, there's, there's a cost associated with it. So um, yeah, we, we've actually got um, pretty significant diversity of, of termites in our state. And, and knowing those species is important because each one is maybe treated a little bit differently, or if it's just ag termites or desert termites in your backyard, then it's telling you, you know, you kind of got real dry conditions, maybe water a little bit more, but treat using pesticides isn't necessarily justified. And then also they live or are found in different spots associated with the structure. So that makes treatment a little bit different too. And each of those species can, can, so uh, can swarm at different times. And that's, we talked about mud tubes and seeing those around the house, but there are also swarmers that will come out when they're ready to um, mate. And I can imagine it's, it's, even though I keep hearing we're in an El Nino pattern, it keeps raining in my area. And I think across the state and 
And when we have these really, really humid, humid days, or you're right at hundred percent humidity, a lot of insects, ants, and termites like to swarm and mate. And there are certain times of the year when certain species like to swarm. So we're in May and what are the ones that we're seeing that we should see right now? In central Texas, we've already had uh, swarms of subterraneans. Um, usually in May, we start getting the Formosan subterranean termites swarming. Um, our natives have already swarmed, but I'm expecting with rain coming, we will probably see some more of those showing up. And I've already been getting a couple uh, desert termite identifications, and that's one that Usually it's like in the fall after we've gotten, or the beginning of the fall, end of the summer, we've gotten through the hot summer where it's been really dry. And then we have a good, good soaking rain, September, October, something like that. And there's all these swarmers, just hundreds of them that will be attracted to like a light building or your porch lights or, or something. And they're just piled up and people really panic because the coloring is similar to the dreaded Formosan termite, but the look is very different. So it's always really important to get someone to get an eye on it before you assume that you've got one species over another, because they can, they can look kind of similar. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you can very easily misidentify them. And when you are identifying termites or when you're collecting termites for someone else to identify for you, we need either the swarmers, that could be the actual insect with the wings. So the swarmers are the reproductives that have the wings, um, or you can just collect the wings for us. We can identify them from that. Or we need the soldiers, which are the ones that have the enlarged head capsule. So those are the ones that we would need for identification. A lot of people will collect workers and we can't really identify them from those because they really look too much alike from one another. The other thing that you probably need to know is ant swarmers and termite swarmers tend to emerge at the same time. And if you are going to tell the difference between the reproductive ants and the reproductive termites, you need to look at the antennae, the wings, and the waist. So the antennae of ants are going to be elbowed or bent. Termite antennae are straight. The wings of ants are going to have the front wings larger than the hind wings, whereas termite wings are going to be of the same size and shape. And then the waist, ants are going to have pinched waists and termites are going to have a broadly joined waist. And if you're lazy, I always look at the waist because when the when ants die, they kind of like fold in half and termites are broad-waisted, so they just kind of stay stock still. So I... I know you can look at antenna and you can look at their wings, but it sure seems like the waist is the easiest thing for even a layman to um, kind of look and see and identify pretty easily. Um, and so Janet, I'm curious, do ter are termites generally an issue in schools or have you ever had any situations where schools have been um, kind of at risk? Because when I think of a school, I think of like cinder block walls and I don't necessarily think about wood, but there's wood behind every wall and every structure pretty much. Well, and then there's the gym floor. Oh. And then there were the buildings that were built by the, um, you know, WPA, um, the government back in the 30s that some of these buildings were built with rock. There's wood, old wood frames in windows. 
No, I've seen, and even on the newer buildings, you think about that, but there's something else within our walls that even if you had concrete and metal, there's still this thing called sheetrock that they can, they can enter. I've, I've actually been in a school building where I saw the um, termite mud tubes along the roof edge and it, and it was because they were able to penetrate from the roof and then come down. The flat roof building? Flat roof building. Right, yep. Flat roofs are the worst, aren't they? They just hold mm -hmm. water and they're just conducive to all sorts of insect issues. But it's, but it, you're right, it's anything that has cellulose because Robert, don't y'all, well, to keep some of your termites alive in the lab and little Petri dishes, don't you give them like wetted down, soaked up um, um, filter paper? Yeah, and so, some of um, the laboratory experiments that we've run when we wanted to look at um, differential feeding among uh, colonies that have been treated with, oh, you know, a different rate of a termiticide. Yeah, we, we, we do. We, we uh, feed them paper towels, wet paper towels. So anything that's got any kind of cellulose, that's what yeah. they... That's, That's what those subs like. Um, so are there ways, you know, before we really talk about management, are there ways that we can keep termites from getting into our home? If we built our houses on top of their houses, are there ways to make it so our house isn't so appetizing to them? Do, I don't do you think that we can completely keep them out, but I think that there are things that you can do to encourage them to look elsewhere for their wood sources. Um, you know, we've mentioned things like flat roofs holding moisture. Moisture is going to draw in subterranean termites because they need that moisture. They also need wood to soil contact. And so if you can avoid any of that, removing form boards after slabs are poured, making sure that fences are either using treated wood or that they're not touching the house, not having vegetation right up against the house, um, making sure that your sprinklers come um, and shoot the water away from the house. Just anything that is going to provide a wood source and moisture close to your house is going to kind of attract termites into that area perhaps because they're going to be looking for food that is wood-based and moist of some way, shape, or form. Another thing that, you know, like I, I tell people quite frequently um, when they call and they've got questions about termites, um, we, we've been discussing subterranean termites and, and somebody, I think uh, Janet mentioned their mud tubes or shelter tubes. Um, yeah, I, I encourage people to look for these and I've got, you know, some photographs that I'll send them some good examples of shelter tubes that the termites use as they move from the moist soil onto and into our homes. Um, you know, oftentimes these are apparent, especially if it's a, a monolithic slab foundation home. Um, and so once you once you have a search image for them, it's it's possible to inspect your own home with without a lot of experience. But I, I also caution them too. you know, when we teach the uh, termite technician school, um, oftentimes we've got people who've been doing termite work in the pest management industry for years. And uh, we have the good fortune of having a building out at that the campus where we where we teach that course that is infested with subterranean termites and there's shelter tubes and and we have them inspect the building and and 
oftentimes they'll they'll miss one that's frequently in the shade when we, when we get over to that structure and, and take a look at it. So these are people okay, that have Robert, experience. Uh -huh. So for those people who aren't experienced with termites, you need to explain what a shelter tube is. Yeah. Um, so, so shelter tubes are um, small earthen tubes that are built by the termites as, as they move from the moist soil onto and into our, our structures. It um, prevents them from drying out. Um, these, are, these are animals that have a high, high surface to volume ratio and, and not a hardened exoskeleton. So um, they have a tendency to dry out if they, if they move away from moist conditions. So the shelter tubes help them um, prevent that. And they also provide protection from um, predators as they're, as they're foraging on the sort of the bare exposed um, portions of our homes. So shelter tubes are one of those things that, you know, if I look for them around a structure, if I find them, then I'll break them open and actually look to see if the termites are active in there. You can actually see them crawling in the shelter tube and usually you'll have like the little soldiers poking their head out and trying to bite you with their little mandibles, which is super cute. <laughs> but, you know, if they don't have um, an active termite that you see at that point in time, then I'll usually knock those shelter tubes off. And then I come back about a week later and see if there are new shelter tubes in the area to see if that is going to give me that active um, kind of clue that they're rebuilding those shelter tubes. And so the, there's something going on with termites in the area. Mm -hmm. Very good point. So Molly, how do we get, what do we do if we, we see them in our home? What do we do? Well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So if you see them, if you see them in your house, if you, you see like the tubes, you see some swarmers, um, you, you have someone come out and do an inspection and they found an active termite colony. My first question is actually, if you, so let's say that you're outside in your backyard and you're digging through maybe the mulch in your kid's playground, or you're turning over pallets, or you're moving some firewood and you find termites in wood that's just in your yard, should you panic and call a pest control company to come and treat? Or like, at what point should you be concerned and, and start to investigate and um, uh, get some bids from some pest management companies? I, I get this, this question a lot. Um, <clears throat> You know, just as you say, Molly, somebody's in their backyard, they're moving around, oh, you know, whatever, some landscaping timbers or, you know, some wood that's been sitting out back and they discover some termites. And, and um, you know, I, I always try and caution them. So, so the reality is in, in our part of the world, if you think about the way we build our neighborhoods, we've kind of already talked about it today, but I mean, for my neighborhood's a good example of this. It was a forest, right? And um, so there's pro on our property, there's probably, um, you know, maybe 10 to 15 stumps just underneath the ground, right? And, and that was a forest where termites were operating and still are. So for every house on my street, there's likely a termite colony or more um, on each property. So I, I tell people, look, the, the, I think the best thing you can do is have your house inspected by a professional which then kind of answers my next thought that I get a lot of questions about, can I do it myself? Like, can somebody successfully control and, and I don't want to say eliminate, but I guess in the case of termite management, we do kind of try to eliminate them from the, the actual structure, mm -hmm. but people are always saying, well, I can get my hands on, you know, well, what do they use? Oh, I can get my hands on that. And I always think that's kind of a bad idea because you don't have the knowledge and 
I mean, being a pest management professional, they're professionals. They take classes. They can, they take continuing education. They have training to do the job that they do. And they also have the equipment. The cost is going to be so high for you. If you were to purchase that stuff yourself, I feel like, because you're not, you're buying giant amounts, whereas these companies are buying that same amount, but they're able to use it on several structures. Right. right. And, and just getting that equipment is going to be impossible for some of the different, um, methods for, for treating for termites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that you're, you're purchasing when you purchase that service is a warranty, right? Yes. So you, you know, if, if, the if the colony is not destroyed, that company is going to return and, and work until it is destroyed. Um, yeah, I, I Termites, unless you have experience in, in that sort of work, I, th- I think I think people are shocked, um, you know, to learn, e- even our pest management professionals that are new to the industry, how much work is involved in in um, treating a structure for subterranean termites. I mean, it's it's a v- very labor intensive um, pest management exercise, and and it's sort of artful. You know, these people have the people that are involved in that industry have training to. Th- Think about how a house is built, how it's constructed, how to get the termiticide to the termites, how to survey for them, how to find them, inspect inspect the structure and find the termites in the house. I mean, it's one thing if you're a homeowner and you find a shelter tube on the exterior of the slab, you've found an area of, of termite activity. But for most of us, if we've got a slab house, we likely have cracks in our foundation and and, and we know that termites can enter the house in the interior of the home through those cracks or through plumbing penetrations um, underneath the slab um, that are almost impossible for, you know, the average homeowner to inspect for. So I, I always caution people and tell them if, if, if they can swing it, you know, hire, hire a professional to do this work. So I'm, I'm going to take this one step level next to, le- to the next level. <clears throat> I am a homeowner. I do know a lot about termites, and yet I did hire a professional company. And just so that the listeners understand, Dr. Pocket was right. Robert was extremely right when he says, you know, it's an art and a science. Part of what you're doing when you when you work with a pest management professional, especially when you're talking about termites, and it's something, again, you can't put a, a price tag on, it's called peace of mind. I know my home is protected. Yes, I know what I'm doing. I know what to look for. I know all of the ramifications, but I have a over 40 year old home that, you know, has not, the treatments that were done back in the day, well, that chemistry has finally worn out. And yes, I had a crack in the foundation. I had wood floors. I've had termites swarm inside my home. So listeners, understand this. If this is you listening, it's okay to call pest management companies, but do what we recommend. Call several. Have them come out, walk your home, talk to you. It's really important. And they may all give you different management options. And I think probably just certain companies are more comfortable doing different things, but what, what are the most typical or the, you know, the, the most uh, common options as far as how to get rid of the termites that they will offer you for your house? So um, the, the termite management industry leans heavily on liquid termiticide applications 
and baits. Um, and, and so for the case of the liquid termiticides, essentially what they'll do is, is create a, a barrier uh, along the perimeter of your perimeter of your home um, by applying termiticide to the soil. So they'll typically dig a, a trench um, down several inches or a foot, and then um, they treat that the trench that they've built with a, a termiticide. And, and typically that's at four gallons of termiticide per 10 linear feet. Um, uh, and then in areas where you've got concrete abutting the structure, so like driveways or porches, sidewalks, et cetera, they'll drill through the concrete so that they can apply the termiticide underneath the concrete, um, creating a, a, a complete barrier around the home of termiticide. And this is a non-repellent termiticide, so termites don't necessarily uh, detect it. They'll, they'll crawl through it and tunnel through it, and then they become exposed to the termiticide active ingredients. And then um, that material is transferred through the colony as they groom one another, as they, it's kind of gross, but as they regurgitate their food for each other in the colony. Um, and then the, the other, um, the other approach is to bait structures. And so um, there's a wide variety of, of termite baiting systems that are available on the market. And so pest management professionals will um, install bait stations that are sort of flush with the soil level. And inside the bait station is a, a, a cellulose matrix puck um, that, uh, that has a um, chitin synthesis inhibitor as an active ingredient. And so the termites feed on that material, um, they share the active ingredients with their nestmates, and then everybody has trouble molting. And slowly the colony will, will die out. Um, so th those are the chief means by which um, most termite infestations, subterranean termite infestations are managed. And there's yeah. also some oh. new ones, right? Where they're not necessarily trenching, but they're just kind of, uh, I don't know if the proper term is called rotting, but they're, mm -hmm. you know, they it's have- It's like an injection, the, the high efficiency go. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the BASF um, uh, device. Yeah. And all of the, let's say we gave three different options, but ultimately there's the liquid versus the bait. Is one better than the other? I get that question a lot too. Um, you know, like if one company, you really like this one company and they really prefer using baits, but you feel more, but you really wanted a liquid termiticide. Does it really matter what you're choosing as long as you're doing something to protect your house? Oh, Wizzy, I bet you get a, a lot of folks that are interested in baiting systems over in your part of the state, huh? It, well, it's just kind of all over the place. And usually what I tell people, if you're dealing with subterranean termites, you need to go with what is comfortable because as long as you get the product to where the termites are located, it's going to manage them for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they find the bait stations and they're taking the bait and they're, you know, sharing that with the other termites, then your colony is going to be controlled. Likewise, if they're, if you have a, barrier around your stru structure and you're going and having the termites go through that, then again, you're going to control them. The other thing that does need to be mentioned is, so uh, let me back up. So I don't think that baiting or the trenching is better than the other. It's just a matter of what you are comfortable with and, you know, go with what you feel a better comfort level with, I think. Um, I think it's more important to have 
a company that you trust that is going to do a good job with the application and monitoring um, than choosing between a trench and treat and a baiting system. You know, you really need to make sure that you're going with someone who's going to do a good application for you regardless of what they're doing. The other thing that does need to be mentioned is that we have been talking about subterranean termite treatments. And if you deal with drywood termites, then those are going to be completely different treatments. And depending on what you have the drywood termites in, whether it's the home or if it's a piece of furniture, then that could lead to different treatments themselves. If it's in a piece of furniture that you can transport, you can get a vault fumigation done where you would put the furniture into you know, a chamber that's enclosed and they shoot it with a gas pesticide and it basically fills up that space and then they allow it to sit at that level at a certain period of time so they can kill whatever's in there. Um, they can also do that for whole entire structures. And in that case, that's where they put the, the big large tarps over there. So it kind of looks like a giant circus tent is covering the house. In that case, they shoot the whole entire house with that gas. And then they will you know, monitor the levels and make sure that it's staying at a certain level for a certain period of time. If you have small kind of isolated colonies, they may be able to do it with um, like an, a pesticide, a common one that they use is called Termidor Dry, which is no longer being manufactured, but there are still companies that have that product and they can puff that into the holes where those drywood termites are located. And again, they'll transfer it into uh, the colony and transfer it to other termites and it can kill them that way. So depending on what type of termite you're dealing with, you're going to have different types of treatments too. So subterranean termites are going to have completely different treatment than if you're dealing with drywood termites. And if you're talking about agricultural termites, again, that is a whole different thing because they're feeding on usually forage. And so you usually have to drag chains over those areas and then make sure that you're using some sort of a contact pesticide that is labeled for forage because you know regular termiticides are not labeled for that particular area. Um, Robert, have you dealt with any cases in Texas of Formosan termites in trees? Because I know I've seen some here in Austin and that one's one that most people aren't aware of that they can get into trees and kind of hollow out the center of them. Yeah, we certainly have. Um, yeah, so, so Wizzy's talking about our invasive species of subterranean termite, um, the Formosan subterranean termite, Coptotermes formosanus. And they have a really interesting uh, behavior. They'll actually in, infest living trees, as Wizzy mentioned. So they'll, the colony will move in into the trunk of the tree and begin, as, as the colony grows, they'll expand this cavity in, inside the tree trunk. And, and as a result of that, sometimes the structural integrity of the tree is, is compromised. And so Wizzy, I, I've, I've, I've seen people take trees down because they were concerned about the liability or just the danger of the tree falling on like their house, for instance, and damaging their house. Um, I've, I've worked with companies who have foamed um, tree cavities. And then our 
lab did some work when uh, when Chris Keefe, Dr. Chris Kiefer was here um, working with Termidor Dry, the product that you mentioned before that's no longer on the market um, for, for treating Formosans in, in trees um, down in downtown Houston. And it worked very well, actually. But yeah, this is a problem. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a real problem for folks in agriculture. And no, it's a, hold on, it's a real problem for everybody that deals with this situation. But if you think about like orchard managers, pecan orchard managers that, you know, those trees are in peril of becoming infested by Formosan termites. And the, the problem there is that, you know, there really aren't any product products that are registered for fruit and nut bearing trees. And so that, that's quite a dilemma. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a significant problem, a significant aspect of our invasive subterranean termites. So the other thing that we need to probably mention is, you know, how long can we expect stuff to last? Like with a fumigation, if you're doing a fumigation, as soon as that gas dissipates from the structure, then you can have drywood termites swarm the next week and land on your roof and go back into your attic and you could get them again. Um, but if you're talking about like trench and treats and stuff like that, it's really going to depend upon the product. But um, I believe that the majority of them are 10 plus years now. Am I wrong on that, Robert or Molly? Well, yeah, there, there's some data on um, some of the uh, fipronil products that suggests that, you know, in, in the soil underneath or around a house, um, that their um, uh, LD50 concentration of the product after about seven years is, is getting close to the LD50 of most of our subterranean termite species. And LD50, if you're unaware, is just um, a uh, metric for um, comparing the potency of insecticides, drugs, et cetera. So LD50 refers to the lethal dose required to kill 50% of a test cohort of, of individuals, in this case, insects. Um, so if you drop b below the LD50 and you, the, the percentage of termites begin, that are killed by the termiticide begins to become lower than 50%. So the, the point is, you know, when we see that happening in the soil, we know that the house is sort of getting to that time period where it's no longer fully protected by those termiticides in this case. And so, you know, we're looking at about, you know, somewhere between seven to 10 years. So, so if the termiticides last about seven to 10 years when these pest control companies perform the treatment and then they give you that guarantee for a year or two or three, I'm not sure how long they normally do it for. I'm sure every company's a little bit different. When that is up, and then they offer you, okay, we can come back out quarterly and we'll do an inspection around your house. Is that something that's necessary for people to do? Is it um, just kind of a good idea or is, you know, what, what do you guys feel about that? I, I kind of equate that to an insurance policy. So, you know, you have your homeowner's insurance that covers you against, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I kind of think of the termite thing as kind of the insurance policy with your termite treatment, because if you renew that on a yearly basis, then they come out, do the inspection. And then if you get termites on your house, they will come out and you don't have to pay for a new termite treatment. So it's kind of like an insurance policy and deductible. 
Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And I think it's really important to mention that a lot of homeowners, when they discover that they've got termites and termite damage that needs to be repaired, um, they're often very surprised to learn that their homeowner's insurance is, is not covering the cost of those repairs. Um, so so if, if you are a person who values insurance in your life, this is a, this is a fairly inexpensive insurance against subterranean termites. And, and you know, I, I, always, I always run the risk of people thinking that I'm trying to sell pest management services. I'm really not, but, but um, you know, there, there's kind of a running line about termites in our part of the world. It's like, so there are two types of houses here, right? Those that have termites and those that will get them at some point. Um, they're, they're almost ubiquitous in our environment. And so your, your home is always at peril for becoming infested with, with termites. So if the termiticides, you know, we kind of have an idea of how long those things last. What about the bait stations? Do they just install them and then they're there and that's it? Or at what point can you determine that that baits, those bait stations have effectively eliminated that colony from that house? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a good question and it's not the easiest question to answer. I mean, so the, the cool thing about um, most of our termite baiting technologies and systems now is that they've they've um, kind of leaned in towards building more durable baits, so baits that can be inspected once a year, for instance. Um, and so, if you have termite activity, termites are foraging on on the insecticidal baits within a station. It, if that if that um, foraging is curtailed by the virtue of the baits, um, you can assume with some confidence that that termites aren't there and feeding on the baits anymore because the colony has died. However, we know from from research experience um, that you know just disturbing the bait stations themselves can sort of turn the termites off and they'll abandon them. Um, so, you know, th this is a challenge. You know, we have to ask ourselves: Well, did the lawnmower going over to the top of them make them shut down their foraging, and the colony is still out there in the the soil next to the house somewhere? Sometimes we don't know, but that's where the inspection comes in um, that that Wizzy was discussing earlier. Um, and and she also mentioned earlier: You know, if you've got a company that you feel comfortable with that's going to follow through and help monitor your individual situation, your termite infestation, um, then that's what they should be doing is inspecting for activity, termite activity on the house um, during the time that they're feeding on baits and, and dying from it. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this episode of Unwanted Guests. Keep an eye out for termites on your home. And if you have questions, please feel free to contact someone at AgriLife Extension. For more information, go to extensionentomology.tamu.edu. Catch you next time.